All right, hello, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. The show with zero credentials, zero qualifications that just keeps firing off takes and opinions anyways. And you know what? Today, even for someone who doesn't really, uh, sometimes wings it very much so, has like a very, very scant outline, this is even more uh, more unstructured than what I'm usually doing. I do not have even so much as an outline in front of me. I just have a script of the outro so that whenever I'm done talking and pontificating in front of you before you hear today, uh, I can just hit the, hit the gas and then send this thing to the finish. Other than that, though, um, let me just take you through the last couple of days and why I came home from Florida early. Well, first off, on Saturday, I went and picked up my car, thought it was just some electrical issues there, just went on about my day, had a good day of work after that, you know, went out to lunch with a friend, I uh, really just enjoyed my time back in town, thought I was back in business, and the car troubles were over. Next thing I know, very next fucking morning, also a minute into the podcast, I already got an F word in there, that's pretty impressive, um, I digress, very next morning, I get up, I start like I'm going to work, and same issue uh, as to why I took the car into the shop in the first place, being throttle body, if, if, you, if any of you car people out there know what's going on, looks like I'm going to have to replace my throttle body, and... And since it happened on Sunday, I had to wait two days to uh, come and drop it off. Really, I could have just went and dropped it off today, but I wouldn't have direct contact with the guy that I dropped it off with and who, who led the way on the service because he works Tuesday through Saturday, off Monday and Tuesday. So I couldn't talk to him either today or yesterday. And hey, that's just the tip of the iceberg. On top of that, I mean... I just went to the dentist office and well, that wasn't quite as stressful as it might have been, but there's there's work on the horizon. It's not good and it's you know what? I'll just I'll just leave it at that because it could be worse, but uh you know what? For now, it's <laughs> settling down and just just not good. Not going to lose my entire uh teeth or, or whatnot, but uh, there, there's some work to be done there. Um basically spent the whole day figuring that out. And then in addition to that, on top of all of that shit, if it was just that, I think I probably would have gotten home, got the mind cleared and just started you know, pounding out some notes here, see if I can get anything structured. But one, I kind of felt like it, the more I typed out on this one, uh, the, the less, I mean, the more cookie cutter, uh, the less hmm, insightful I get, the more, the less personal I think it will end up being, the more I outline here in this episode, because I do have, uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hit start and let it go when it gets to the Vikings. We're going we're gonna to knock that out like right out of the gate here. But uh, yeah, that's that's what's going on. On top of all of that, though, um, I would have just gotten home and started working. But it, it turns out I thought a friend that, you know, old friend, friend from high school, loved the kid to death. Cannot wait to see him. I thought he was coming next week. Turns out he is arriving uh, on Wednesday, and uh, that kind of expedites the timeline of recording because I'm not recording uh, when there's someone in my house that I have not seen in a long, long time. I'm just simply not trying to answer those questions and be like, oh, how's the podcast going? All oh, you know, just a handful of listeners each week. I swear I'm not crazy to keep trying and doing this thing. You all, I mean, if any of you out there uh, have tried to follow your own dreams, uh, specifically in the content category, and you've tried to uh, talk to people around you about it, uh, my, my parents, very understanding, though I think, you know, understanding has its limits there to a certain extent. I'll digress on that point. Um, outside of them, though, I hate 
talking about my podcast that has like less than 20 listeners each week. I, I, I despise it, quite frankly. So the less of that I can expose to my friend, uh, the better. All that being said, all that shit happening all at once. I just said screw this. I, I watched all these playoff games live. Uh, I was asleep for, well, half asleep for about a quarter of the Jacksonville game until, um, I can't remember exactly what play woke me up. Actually, no, you know what it was? It was, um, I can't remember if it was Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence. Someone made a pass in the pocket that looked like, oh hell, this is about to be intercepted for a pick six. I went from slumped over to the side like a dead man in a chair to wide awake, like, oh God, it's about to happen. And from that, that point on, I think I was like, okay, got to get up, do some exercises, stay awake here. That Outside of that little little gap there, I think like start of the third quarter, uh, right down there until Jags really started coming back into it. I was a little bit asleep, to be honest with you. But outside of that, I mean, pretty much... Kept it awake, kept uh, kept cogent, kept uh, paying attention to all of them, except for like last fourth quarter of the Niners game. Because I mean, I, I've got other stuff to do, man. I, I knew the end of that game already. I could see what was happening there, and if it ended up being closer, I would have just got out of there from what I was doing, uh, playing Warzone. If you have to ask, with my good buddy Zach, who used to be on this podcast, no longer is. Um, but yeah, that that's just kind of how it is. Either way, I think I'm just gonna pontificating too, too much here. Um, that That's just what it is. That's why I'm not doing an outline here because there's just too much shit going on today. I'll probably, I mean, I think I kind of have to outline the, uh, the preview episode just because there's so much that goes into a preview, but I think I'm just going to let the emotions flow on, uh, on this one. Thank you for understanding. And hopefully this podcast doesn't go two hours because I am unhinged and untethered as far as the outline is concerned. So this this could be an hour 20 minute pod, could be a two and a half hour pod, just depends how long I talk for. That being said, recording time is right in front of my face now, so I might not go too, too long. Either way, um, enough rambling, let's just get straight into the playoff games. I procrastinated for long enough, and we're just going to knock this uh, straight out real quick. Let's uh, let's recap the first week of the playoffs, minus the Bucks cowboys game, which is happening tonight as I record. Uh, yeah, so let's just talk about, yeah, Giants, Vikings, let's just rip the bandaid off. And oh, how the weekend progressed with this game. I, I obviously went in, I mean, about as confident as you can be as a Vikings fan. There's always that kernel in the back of your mind telling you, hey, this could all crumble very, very quickly if you're not careful. And you know what? I was thinking, hey, if things go well, this turns into a shootout. It's a fun game. We win in the end, another one score ball game. I would be okay with that. Uh, what ended up happening is obviously score on the opening drive as is as is tradition for the Vikings, just go back. They're one of the best first drive teams in the entire league. Hell, even dating back to before Kirk Cousins was here, um, really efficient as hell on that script. And I, you know, after that, it always kind of, you see what the true tenor of the game is after that first drive. Really came out of the gates uh, scorching, though, score on the first opening possession there. After that, though, really it was all Giants. And you could see very, very early that the Vikings defense, both the front seven and the secondary was not going to hold up to this Giants team. Not even, not even slightly and not to the least because Daniel Jones is a, I mean, dare I say a damn good quarterback. I think he might actually be better than Kirk Cousins right now. I mean, crazy to say, but my God, the guy is, the guy is absolutely playing out of his mind. The, the Houdini act, I mean, the absolute magic trick 
that that entire coaching staff has done from, uh, I think Mike Kafka is the um, play caller, Brian Dayball, the head coach, really the entire offensive staff there to take Daniel Jones from an absolute fumbling turnover machine uh, the first two, three years of his career to really an efficient quarterback. I mean, downright efficient in so many in so many ways here. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. Um, ooh, excuse me. I got my coffee next to me because not hyped up enough. I got to gotta, gotta get the yelling going a little bit more. Um, either way, Vikings took a three-point deficit into halftime. It was 17-14 Giants at half. Um, a 20-play drive that we, we held them to a field goal, too. So, I mean, it could have been even worse. I mean, almost 11 minutes taken off on that Giants drive uh, pretty much to start the, the, the second quarter. They had the ball to start the second quarter and then just, well, not to start the second quarter, really, I think the Vikings punted the ball to them at the very start of the second quarter. Giants drove the length of the field 85 yards in just about 11 minutes and 20 plays and that's pretty indicative of what really they were more methodical on that drive than they really had to be in the entire rest of the game, quite frankly. Because I mean, look at the look at the other touchdown drives they had. Um, first touchdown they had five plays, seventy-five yards. Second touchdown, four plays, eighty-one yards. Uh, obviously, the twenty-play, eighty-five yard one uh, coming out in the third quarter. Daniel Bellinger, that nine-yard pass from Daniel Jones, capped off a six-play, seventy-five-yard drive. Um, the final touchdown of the game that would ultimately lead to the Giants winning this one. Uh, spoiler alert, although, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you've already you've already seen uh, the outcome of all these games. That play actually ended up being uh, the second most methodical one all day. 12 plays, 75 yards, uh, ending off with that, that two-yard rushing touchdown for Saquon Barkley there. I mean, really, they were getting chunk plays left and right all damn day. I mean, they had... Just over 250, I believe, um, total yards on offense entering halftime. Uh, kind of slowed down to a certain extent in the second half, but not too, too much. I mean, Daniel Jones, over 300 yards passing. Um, I mean, Daniel Jones, 78 yards rushing to boot, too. I mean, they, he was he's not even the number one running back, obviously. He's the quarterback. I mean, as a team, Daquan Barkley didn't even really have the, the biggest day on the ground. He had 100 yards from scrimmage because he had 53 yards on the ground, 56 uh, through the air receiving the ball and man I mean there there you have it right there that's just not good you're not going to win with that and Daniel Jones to the point of being an efficient quarterback like I said before 8.6 yards per attempt 301 yards um, two touchdowns zero turnovers all day that is not a stat line that you ever saw from um, interesting uh, different there's an alert on my screen that I'm just going to keep away because if I get too distracted this is going to take forever um either way I mean it's amazing how how well Daniel Jones has played that's not a stat line you ever saw from him in the preceding year this year and really it's a full credit to Brian Dayball full credit to the entire coaching staff especially the offensive staff I mean hell I don't think Daniel Jones is a guy that you signed to a five-year deal, pay him over a hundred million guaranteed. I think he's probably a two-year deal type of guy. That being said, I mean, two years, 45, 50 million, I think that's probably the going rate for a guy like Daniel Jones right now. And hell, if he goes into the next contract, outperforms the hell out of that and proves that he's like a borderline top 10 quarterback uh, or a consistent top 10 quarterback at that. Who knows where Daniel Jones goes from here? This is only the first year in the system with a dearth of weapons on the outside and really just a running back to help him to go. You had some weapons on this team. Hell, Daniel Jones might become a consistent top 10 sort of passer. Um, that being said, 
I think he's still got to make improvement. I think right now he's earned mid-level starter money, money, which is 25 to 30 million a year. All right, you pay him that. You pay him for two years, though. I think you pay Saquon Barkley, on the other hand, you, you hand him the five, six-year contract worth however many million dollars because I've said it before, I'll say it again. You don't pay 95% of running backs top of the market money. That other 5%, though, the Saquons, the, the Christian McCaffreys, uh, Alvin Kamara's, hell, I would even I would even consider Dalvin Cook to a certain extent in this, uh, in this category, though he has dropped off a little bit in this new Kevin O'Connell scheme. We'll talk about uh, all the fault on that side in just a second, but... Saquon Barkley, you pay a guy, and it's as simple as this, you pay a guy that changes the math for an opposing defense at running back. That's the simplest way I can put it. Most running backs present problems here and there. Those problems are easy to mitigate to a certain extent, though, if they devote resources to them. Saquon Barkley, you can have two guys in front of him. He could still turn it into a 20-yard run, 20-yard completion, anything. He's, for my money, best running back in the entire league right now, and really just from a quickness perspective, uh, a power. I mean, really, at this point, he's built like a lot like Adrian Peterson, just not quite as uh, inclined to go with the power and much quicker. I mean, maybe not a whole lot faster, but faster too. I mean, Saquon Barkley is just a monster. It's kind of backwards from what you would expect um, the general logic to be when when signing a quarterback and a running back. Usually it's the other way around. You give the running back a short-term contract, give the quarterback... Uh, five-year big-time deal because you don't know when you're going to find another one of those guys. Giants are in an interesting position where Saquon Barkley is clearly a more valuable player than Danny Jones. Obviously, Danny Jones is the quarterback going forward. He's earned that. Obviously, in the, the draft class that is about to be with quarterbacks, there's really only three that maybe are potential starters as, as soon as next year, as, at least as far as the draft analysis is concerned. Um, really only one of those, CJ Stroud, is a guy that I would feel comfortable taking uh, up high and, and taking in this draft. I've said it time and time again, just looking at how this whole 2022 draft class has worked out for the quarterbacks. If you've got a solid mid-level starter in place, like a Geno Smith, who we'll talk about in just a second, they're working on an extension for him over in Seattle. I think you stick with that guy for another year or two, see what you can get in the draft next year, which is going to be loaded. Let me tell you what that quarterback class is about to be in really the entire class in general, because Brock Bowers isn't even allowed to come out this year. He's going to be a top five pick at tight end. And I think he's going to have production that uh, a Kyle Pitts simply did not have because He's not a glorified receiver uh, playing uh, a quote-unquote tight end role where he's basically split out in the slot every time. No, 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 no. Brock Bowers is a tight end. He is an all-pro tight end today if he were to switch over to the NFL. I mean, mark my words, Brock Bowers is going to come in and be a star in the league. I mean, no, no question in my mind. And he's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there are so many kids that decided to take the IL money, come back to college, and develop for another year that have stacked the 2023 draft class to an unreal level. I'm just getting ahead of this before everyone else sees it because people are still focused on 2022. 2023 is the class that is going to blow everyone's minds, in my opinion. So uh, that that is all to say back now. Just keep him for another year. Sign him to a two-year contract. So maybe if you draft someone next year, it's going to be an easy separation from the guy you got in place. Uh, to the guy that you're going to draft. That being said, I think that pretty much wraps it up for the Giants as far as I see it. I mean, congrats to them for 
I mean, having a better team. I mean, legitimately, no, no two ways about it. They had a better defensive coordinator, had a better offensive scheme, all that stuff. And um, yeah, let's just talk about the Vikings here for a second. And specifically, I mean, people are going to highlight that final Kirk Cousins throw. And honestly, you look at that and I don't want to be too harsh just because I understand the situation. I understand there was a lot going on there. Dexter Lawrence was coming right up the middle. He didn't have time uh, to to roll out, uh, make some sort of decision, uh, buy time to throw down the field to somebody else. No, he had to, he had to make a Kirk Cousins had to make a quick decision. He had to do it right then. Justin Jeff doubled on the corner route. I mean, I suppose you can try and force it in there. Um, I would have loved to see that over um, checking down. But what ended up happening? He ended up checking down to T.J. Hawkinson. Uh, got three yards on fourth and eight. And again, I am not going to overreact here and just absolutely lambast Kirk Cousins because I already knew that's who this guy was. And um, I mean, look no further than I understand he basically had the right side of the field. And that was all he was really looking at. Basically blocked off the whole left side of the field from what it seemed. Uh, one, that's not necessarily what great quarterbacks do, but I don't think Kirk Cousins is a great quarterback and I'm not deluding myself. So we'll leave that point there. Um, that being said, he had, if he was looking for a one-on-one option, he basically had two options. And if, if you want to get a real in-depth look and see where I'm coming from in this, Kurt Warner, obviously the Hall of Fame quarterback, if you haven't heard, on Twitter, got the All-22 uh, just came out, I think it was about uh, half an hour ago at this point when I'm recording, put out a, uh, uh, a video just breaking down in very, I mean, not super technical football terms, just breaking down what all the play entailed from both the offensive and the defensive side. There were some deficiencies when it comes to play design. Uh, obviously, there were some deficiencies as far as decision-making was concerned, but also just good play from the defense. That being said... He had two options on that play. It was either TJ Hawkinson underneath or he had KJ Osborne streaking across the middle on a one-on-one. Again, I kind of agree with with Kurt Warner's assessment after watching the video. Looks like uh, KJ Osborne was kind of fading on the route. Don't like he said, don't know if it's a post or a uh, an in route there, but whatever route he was running gave the uh, gave the man coverage guy an option to, or a, a possibility to break it up underneath. But Kirk Cousins has made those types of throws. Um, he can make you an accurate throw like that when you need him to. And he's done it at different points this year. It was basically KJ Osborne one-on-one or TJ Hawkinson underneath the safe option where he didn't have to make a whole lot of, uh, make a whole lot of plays on his own. And given those two options, he took the one that was less chaotic in his mind. That's, that is who if you want a, a, an illustration of what Kirk Cousins is, who Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback, I mean, he can he can put dimes on you like just about any any of the elite quarterbacks in the league right now. I I, I defy you to go back, look at some of the, the throws that Kirk Cousins has had, look at the dimes that he has dropped in the exact right position, triple, triple coverage, hitting receivers directly on the hands. He has that in him, and he can, during the course of a game, uh, through the regular play, he can make some incredible passes when you want him to. That being said, at the end of the game, when, when it's clutch time, He's got some tendencies. It just is what it is. And when you get into those situations, you really, I mean, instincts take over. It, I, I, I've said it is what it is too many times, but it truly, it, 
you can't change the guy at this point. This is who he is. And when times get tough, and this is why I love the TJ Hawkinson pickup, because this is who he is. When times get tough, when there's pressure up the middle, he's going to either force the ball into Justin Jefferson, or he's going to find TJ Hawkinson and dump it off to him, hope he makes something happen. That is who Kirk Cousins is, and it's worked Time and again this season, quite frankly. I mean, we got to 13-4 and four for a reason. A lot of that was Kirk Cousins as much as it was on Kevin O'Connell and, and the entire, I mean, coaching staff there did a hell of a job all year. I mean, hell, 13-4, and four, the negative point differential, that's been used against us a lot. But my God, if you have a negative point differential, no business, you have no business being 13-4. and four. I think Kevin O'Connell coaching staff needs to be given a lot more credit with how well they've done with this team. They were one of the best situational teams in the entirety of the NFL this year under a new regime, totally new coaching staff, but everyone executed flawlessly in the clutch moments when it came to situational decision-making. They never seemed to make a mistake as far as toss or anything like that, wasting time in a two-minute drill. They always seemed to get that down perfectly every single time. That being said, there's a reason they were minus nine. And part of that is Kirk Cousins to a certain extent. I don't want to, again, I don't want to put too much blame on him. We'll, we'll get to it in, in just a second, but let's, uh, let, let's, let's talk about the, actually, you know, we'll get to it right now because I'm, I'm just kind of flitting around here already 20 some minutes into this game. And this will be the longest I spend on any of these games, obviously, because it's my team, but, um, Obviously got into it a little bit with the future of the Giants. I think you extend Saquon on a big deal. Daniel Jones on a mid-level starter deal for like two years with maybe a third-year option in there just to make it look real nice on the on the numbers perspective. Um, as for the Vikings, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I mean, the fix, I mean, you can see with your own eyes if you just watch the game what the fixes are. And the fixes that need to happen... Not all of them are on offense. There is a, a few minor things you need to do on offense to improve what we put out there this past season. It's defense. It's no flat out. It is the defense that needs to improve next year. And it's not the front seven, really. I mean, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, just more of inside baseball. If you're a Vikings fan, you know that the interior defensive line uh, picked up Ross Blacklock in the preseason. I don't know if he ever really actually hit his stride or played in a whole lot of games. He ended up on um, injured for the, the playoff game and down the stretch of the year. So I don't really know how much, uh, how much you end up having on the team. That being said, outside of him though, it's, it's James Lynch and Harrison Phillips. Those are your two offensive, not offense, defensive linemen who have had good seasons, maybe contributed. You needed, you need more talent. You need more depth than what they have currently at the defensive line if you want to stop the run effectively. And that was the main problem with stopping the run in this one and why they were getting bullied, pushed off the ball every time is, sure, you got Darius Smith, you got Daniil Hunter. Those are two good outside guys. And of course, you got Jordan Hicks, you got uh, Eric Kendricks, solid duo of linebackers. No, no worries there. Maybe Kendricks lost a little bit of foot speed, but I mean, he's been with the Vikings for a million years. That's bound to happen at some point there down the line. Um, the main problem though, is the, the defensive linemen are getting pushed off the ball. Uh, linemen are getting to linebackers quick. And at, at that point, I mean, Saquon's off of the races, not really much you can do about that after a certain point. And obviously you got it. You got to refigure the front seven, 
In addition to that, most glaringly obvious uh, deficit in the entire team, you got to figure out that secondary and you got to go aggressively to figure out that secondary. Um, I don't anticipate any of the corners that we have in right now to either get significant playing time next year at, at the outside position or maybe not even be with the team. I don't think Patrick Peterson is going to be with the team next season unless he decides to move to safety, then maybe... I don't know. Cam Bynum had a, had a solid season at safety, if nothing else. Being said, and I've said that being said a million times at this point in this episode, that's just kind of what happens when you don't when you don't structure anything. <sighs> I mean, you got to go hard in the draft. You got to go absolutely hard as hell in the draft. I would not. I don't even want to see an offensive player taken in the first couple. Just go harder than you've ever gone before at the secondary or in, in free agency. I mean, we got to. Either way, we need a million corners and maybe another safety. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, obviously, drafted Lewis Seen last year, so I mean, interested to see how he he performs after coming off that that significant ankle injury that he sustained in London early in the season. Um, probably would have eventually grown into uh, getting some playing time there, rotating in Cam Bynum. I think you keep Cam Bynum in there just because he's played a solid season this year. The corners are a problem, though. Corners are an absolute problem. You pick up 50 of them, I think. You probably uh, are just starting to scratch the surface and deal with the problem there. Um, also, on top of that, I mean, I, I tried my best for a long time, but Ed Donatel cannot come back as the defensive coordinator. Um, his scheme wasn't good. I mean, did the players that he was working with, as far as the secondary is concerned, weren't necessarily players that you're going to ever have a good defense with, quite frankly. So there is that. Um, he had a good defense with the Broncos whenever he was there with Vic Fangio, but also uh, Vic Fangio is maybe the best defensive coordinator of the last generation in, in the NFL. So take that with a grain of salt as well. He did not have a good season. He played, I mean, a very beatable zone all the time, which again, probably has a lot to do with the personnel on the outside there. But seemed unwilling to make a lot of changes throughout the course of the season and then had the audacity to say before this game all the veterans are taking over in practice you're gonna like the way we play in this one and I hated it I hated every single minute of it because he gave up damn near 500 yards to the New York Giants who do not have a number one receiver and you know what at least they got a good offensive line but I mean just not good not good at all very beatable defensive scheme, obviously, throughout the year. We need someone. Hell, if you can find a way to, to just throw a mountain of cash at, at Wink Martindale, that'd be cool. Or hell, wait a couple weeks, uh, see if Brandon Staley gets the stanky boot uh, with the Chargers. Then, if he gets if he gets fired from the Chargers, there's a big old Rams connection there, if you're not aware. And uh, I would love to have Brandon Staley as the defense coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. That being said... Speaking of the offense, though, and I'm going to I'm going to hit this quick because I've already been talking about this game for like 30 minutes at this point, and I'm getting to about the end of all the things I need to say. But there is a lot that needs to be said. Um, changes need to happen. I mean, not necessarily big changes, but there are changes that need to happen this offseason. Um, one of the worst separating wide receivers in the entire league this year. That's not something that, especially at his his cap hit, which is somewhere in the teens million, like I think somewhere upper teens, um, he's going to get cut before the uh, before the day comes up. He's going to be a, a free agent for somebody coming out this year. Uh, not going to be with us. I would expect KJ Osborne to step up in his stead uh, after this season. 
Uh, in addition to him, Dalvin Cook, big old contract there as well, and had some flashes this year, but really less than three yards per touch in this game. Um, oh, less than four yards per touch rather in this game, excuse me. And really, that's not a that's not a trend that ended up getting any better throughout the season. In fact, I mean, he was inconsistent at best, got similar production out of Alexander Madison a lot this year. Um, I would love to see, I would love to see Dalvin Cook come back for another year, but financially, I can understand why Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell might decide to go in a different direction there, especially with, who's to say, maybe Dalvin Cook has dropped off a little bit and maybe you can get some some sort of replacement level around draft pick. Maybe that's the point that Dalvin Cook is in his career. I don't know. I would love to, I love, I love to have him stick around for another year. Um, in addition to that though, offensive line, what, what more is there to say? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, work on the guard, Ed Ingram, rookie out there, uh, left guard. I don't even know. I don't even know who we have in there anymore. I mean, Ezra Cleveland, actually, no, Ezra Cleveland kills people. I love Ezra Cleveland. Never mind. I want to keep Ezra Cleveland in there. Um, really just build depth in the offensive line. I mean, it's not like we got a bad starting spot there. I mean, Ole Udo's really shown us some stuff over the last couple of weeks here. I mean, obviously um, not his best, not his best stretch there uh, being asked to do something he's not necessarily used to doing, but showed a lot of versatility, uh, naturally a guard playing outside of t- uh, with Brian O'Neill going down with a knee injury late in the season. Um, but you got Brian O'Neill, you got Christian Derrissaw, who is maybe the best, not defensive, offensive tackle in the entire league. You just got to build some depth on the offensive line. You're going to be right back there. And probably with the departure of, uh, of Adam Thielen, I mean, Jalen Naylor did some things this year. And I think, oh, also another Jalen, Jalen Rieger, get that guy off the fucking team. He's the worst, absolutely the worst. I can see why the Eagles hated him, uh, but I digress. Um... Jalen Naylor might step up and do some things. He really showed some flashes all throughout this season um, in his limited sort of sort of reps. Didn't really get seen a whole lot in this one, but if KJ Osborne steps up to that number two, uh, Jalen Naylor steps up to that number three, not a bad little setup you got going there. I still think you draft a, either draft him the receiver or you bring in an all-around veteran type of guy to kind of uh, get a bit of a facsimile as to what you got from Adam Thielen, obviously get the explosion and everything that comes with Justin Jefferson being probably the best wide receiver in the league right now. But you need some guy on the outside. You need a technician like Adam Thielen was for a long, long time. Obviously, Adam Thielen had the speed up until recently, but work in the middle of the field, being just a fantastic route runner and exploding teams, exploding zones specifically. I know TJ Hawkinson does that to to a certain extent, but uh, gonna need someone to step up and fill that role in Adam Thielen instead, but uh, that's just what we got right now. I think we can really improve in the offseason, and we're not gonna be as lucky as as this year going forward. But I mean, we're really not that far off. We're thirteen and four for a reason. There's obviously some overhauling that needs to be done on the defensive side of the ball. The the work is cut out for them there, so some good stuff going on that side of the ball. Um, that being said, we'll just have to we'll just have to see what happens here. Not really much else to say. Oh, also, um, just a quick stop on it because I couldn't couldn't just let this slide. Um, whole lot of divisional uh, rivals, fans wise and players wise, uh, really really relishing the uh, the downfall of the of the Minnesota Vikings here. I mean, quite interesting to say the least. Um, and 
You know, I'll leave the Detroit Lions out of this because I didn't really see any any Detroit Lions fans or um, or players, for that matter, going at the Vikings. And you know what? I appreciate your humbleness over there. As for the Bears and Pats, uh, first off, Bears, your team sucks. It's always going to suck, and you're going to ruin Justin Fields like you've ruined every single other quarterback you've had in your uh, in your entire franchise history so you got no room to talk to us about uh losing in a playoff game because you haven't been to a playoff game since the since the double doink and I hope you remember that fondly because I certainly do I laughed directly in your face when it happens and I hope it happens again quite frankly because y'all are an insufferable group of people that being said Chicago not a bad summer city so I might end up going there at some point to uh, to hang out um as far as the fans are concerned, though, eyes on your own work, bud. You guys you guys stink. You guys are always going to stink. But, uh, hey, take what solace you can in the Vikings losing because we'll be right back in the playoffs next year while y'all will be at home. Maybe you'll improve to 6-11 and 11 next year. That'd be quite an uptick from what you were this year. But y'all stink. Y'all have to rebuild. Maybe it turns into something good. But maybe y'all are just the same old fucking dumb bears. And I'll leave it at that. As far as the Packers fans are concerned... Oh boy, you take a whole lot of uh, take a whole lot of solace in this, man. I mean, thinking it in, because one, Aaron Rodgers is about to leave your ass, and you're about to not win in championship for a long time. Two, only got to one Super Bowl ever with Aaron Rodgers at QB, so that's that's fun with best maybe best quarterback in the last generation uh, going in there and not winning more than one Super Bowl, only really going to one or two Super Bowls in that time really seems like you really maximize your potential there having maybe the best quarterback in the last era. You totally didn't ruin his chance of being considered up there with Tom Brady as maybe the best of all time by, you know, sitting back on your laurels, never building a defense, um, relying on your your all-pro quarterback to pass you out of certain situations because you don't have good wide receivers. Uh, Yeah, you all that stuff for years and years now. Now he's old, probably got one or two years left, and you're not going to win a fucking Super Bowl with him. Also, you had a chance to get into the playoffs. You had every chance in the world. You had a win and get in scenario at home, final week of the season in Lambeau, and you choked on the fattest dick of all time. So, Lions, not on my shit list. Packers and Bears fans, I would ask you to keep your eyes on your own work going forward. I know you can, I mean, take solace in this though, especially if you're a Bears fan, because this is probably the most joy you're going to feel for the next probably uh, three to five years, I'm guessing, especially when Justin Fields eventually gets run one too many times, ah, tears an ACL or something, never looks the same running, and you're right back to the draft looking for somebody else. That's your future right there, bud. Uh, I'll just deal with being a Vikings fan for now because at least we've got some degree of hope. That being said, 35 minutes into the podcast, I promise not to spend nearly as much time on all of the other games, but uh, I needed to get needed to get the demons out of my soul talking about that, that Giants-Vikings game. Uh, really... I mean, things are looking up for both these teams going forward. Neither of these, I mean, I would expect Giants and Vikings right back here next year. Maybe not playing each other, but certainly in the NFC playoffs. I think Giants are going to challenge for that NFC East title next year, or at the very least, a wild card spot. And the Vikings, I mean, the kitchen is hot in in the NFC North. All of the teams are improving right now, but they should be right there in it next year too. Uh, Lord willing. I mean, I, I... Lord knows, hand up, I understand that it could all fall apart for the Vikings because it could all fall apart any given year for the Vikings. Uh, That being said, at least we're not the Bears, so I will move on from there. 
I'm not even sure where you go for that, but uh, let's just get back to chronological order here and knock out the first game of the weekend. Really the uh, only one that I would consider a blowout because it was the only actual blowout in this one, and it wasn't a blowout for the longest time. Seahawks versus 49ers, and I'll tell you what, first half, I mean, it looked like it looked like Pete Carroll had the had the 49ers number, specifically Brock Purdy's number. I mean, he just, I don't know if he baited him to throw deep every time, but Brock Purdy was missing guys underneath wide open and pushing the ball down the field. Ended up like 9 of 19 in the first half, under 50% completion percentage. Uh, Seahawks actually went into half up one. Um uh Robbie Gold hit a 46-yard field goal to take the lead for the for the uh almost said Giants, the the Niners, not the Giants. That's the baseball team over there. But that's 13 seconds left in the half. Hit a, hit a field goal. Then all of a sudden, I mean, get a big return out of the uh, out of the kickoff and then off to the races. They're two plays, 24 yards, and they get a 56-yard field goal to the Seahawks from Jason Myers to go into the halftime. 17-16 lead. Who knows what's going to happen in the second half? But um, that's probably pretty much the last of the good feelings for the Seahawks right there. They did not score. Oh, actually, they didn't score until like the final final waning seconds of this game. They were held scoreless all through the third quarter, basically all through the fourth quarter. And while that was going on, Brock Purdy shook off that, that first half and just started playing within the system and started playing out of his mind to boot. Had a touchdown run in the third quarter to put them up ahead again, midway through the third. Then in the fourth quarter, I mean, the floodgates just opened. 17 straight to start the fourth quarter. 24 straight uh, unanswered if you count the third quarter uh, touchdown, really just in the second half overall. Obviously, Seahawks got a garbage time touchdown uh, with uh, DK Metcalf catching a three-yard pass from Geno Smith uh, with... Ah, just under two minutes to play. That made it 41 to 23. Really was never even really that close in the second half. I mean, the the Niners defense more than anything. I mean, it was Nick Bosa, I think, got a, a strip sack and they were off to the races early in the third. The clamps on the Seahawks in the second half and that's just kind of what you get when you <laughs> that's just kind of what you get when you go up against a uh, a team like the San Francisco 49ers are built and it's just it's impossible to stop when you get it going man I mean Nick Boza absolutely uh, he deserves defensive player of the year what more is there to say uh, that being said let's look at what final score by the way San Francisco's 41 Seattle 23 and um, outside of all of that there, I mean, all things considered, Geno Smith had a damn good first, I mean, had a had a bit of a topsy-turvy second half, uh, turning the ball over a little bit more, but ended up 25 of 35, 253 yards, 7.2 yards per time. I mean, that's, that's average numbers right there. I mean, that's not bad at all. Maybe even a little bit above average. I mean, a lot of that went to DK Metcalf, two touchdowns, 136 yards through the air. But um, I mean, the Seahawks, again, and I'll do a little post-mortem on here real quick, the San Francisco 49ers and what to look ahead for for them. Um, but for this, these Seahawks, I mean, they got lucky as hell drafting uh, Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross last year. They Right there, two rookies, cornerstones of the franchise for probably the next decade right there. That's that's how lucky they got with those tackles that they, they got there. I mean, Charles Cross, just a technician out there, just versatile as hell. Abraham Lucas, admittedly don't know a damn thing about him, but 
solid, very, very solid for a rookie tackle there for quite some time. Now I think you fill out the middle of that interior line, uh, get someone for, get some people for Kenneth Walker to run behind a little bit, just get a rotation going. What you need is you need guys to fill in when someone eventually gets hurt on the offensive line because they always do get hurt on the offensive line just because of the nature and brutality of the position down there. You get some offensive linemen in there, maybe you draft uh, another receiver, maybe, I don't know. I think they still got a pretty solid Ooh, excuse me. You got a pretty solid core up there with Metcalf and Lockett going on. Also got Noah Fant low key. That's that's one of the underrated aspects of that that Russell Wilson deal. They got, I mean, multiple first round picks and Noah Fant out of that deal as well. So they got a guy to work the middle of the field. I think maybe you just need one, one more. But that's kind of like a mid to late round consideration, if I had to guess. Not someone that's going to make or break the team. What is going to make or break the team is, I mean, you got to figure out, you got to figure out the defense, man. I mean, Tariq Woolen's a good start. Um, I think they might have a guy opposite of Tariq Woolen, who is a, a solid young player as well. You got, jeez, um, I can't can't remember the guy, Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks is the guy. I, I'm fairly certain that's the guy. Stepped up this year in uh, in the absence of of almost said Moritz Wagner. That's that's a that's a basketball player. Um, Bobby Wagner, definitely totally different name. Um, filling in admirably for him, obviously going in free agency to the Rams this past offseason. Um, really one of the best linebackers in the entire league out there. Also Uchenna Nwosu, really coming on as a pass rusher all throughout the season. That being said, defensive line, defensive line, defensive line. You need bodies up front. You need, I mean, secondary. You need really top to bottom. You just need depth all over the place. You got a couple solid young guys in place that can be cornerstones of the franchise on that side of the ball going forward. But you need improvement from safety play. You need more depth at cornerback. You need more depth at linebacker. Hell, you need more depth at defensive line. Just top to bottom. I think... Maybe not quite so, uh, not quite so much of an emphasis on the secondary as the Vikings, but similar to the Vikings, it should be a very defensive-focused offseason because the offense, really much better than I anticipated them being, and really, I mean, good enough to good enough to win you some games if you can get a solid defense behind them. So leave that there for now. Maybe draft a guy in the mid rounds as kind of an all-around guy. Maybe maybe take a flyer on that sort of uh, receiver there. Outside of that, though. I mean, really, these Seahawks, I mean, they're 9-8 and eight this year. They got a top five pick with um, with the, the the Denver Broncos sending their pick over. I think that's, last I checked, uh, number four, I believe, the, 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 the Seattle Seahawks are sitting at right now. Um, if they want to draft a quarterback, they're probably going to have to move up. If I were them, I mean, someone ahead of you is going to take a quarterback, right? At least one. Maybe it's multiple quarterbacks. Maybe you get all three of them going in the, in the top five there with uh, Will Levis, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud. That being said, the more quarterbacks that are taken ahead of you, the more some of those freak defensive linemen, and I'm talking about Jalen Carter and Will Anderson specifically, the more quarterbacks that are taken ahead of the Seattle Seahawks, the more chance they get a Will Anderson or a, a Jalen Carter. And if you get one of those two guys, that's a that's a... That's a pass rush changer. That's a front seven changer right there. You can get a lot of stuff. I mean, just look at what Aiden Hutchinson has done for the Detroit Lions. Obviously, the defense is in shambles over there, but they've got a legit stud to build around over there. And also, 
being very pleasantly surprised by James Houston coming out of nowhere to really step up as well. They got a couple really good young pass rushers over there. And hell, you pair a Will Anderson opposite of Ochenna Nwosu, or you draft a Jalen Carter to just obstruct everything in the middle of the field. I mean, this defense, especially when you got Tariq Wollen on the back end, you add a, maybe a some a good safety back behind him. I mean, hell, Jonathan Abram was playing in this game. When you got Jonathan Abram, that guy has been, that guy has been, he's been with like three different teams this year alone. He has bounced around to so many different rosters, always finds a way to get on the field somehow. Um, if you're playing that guy at safety, though, you've got a depth problem back there. That's for damn sure. So, Again, this Seahawks defense, really not that far off. you got to devote some resources to it, but they could still be right back in the thick of things for the playoffs next year. Also, they could be right out of things for the playoffs next year, depending on how things go Hell, in their own division. Who's to say what the Cardinals look like next year if they end up getting a Sean Payton in there? Or, hell, even, um, I almost said the Raiders, different different West team, uh, different West division, rather. Um, outside of that, I mean, the 49ers, obviously, in this in this particular game. Um God, what is the third team in the NFC West? That that's gonna annoy me. Um, Seahawks, 49ers, Cardinals, and there's a fourth one. Oh yes, it's the Rams. I forgot about them because they are so bad at football this year, but they won the Super Bowl last year. How about that? Um, either way, got their work cut out for them. Interested to see what they end up doing going forward here. As for the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, I said it before. This is their conference to lose, man. They are the NF- they are the best team in the NFC. They got a, a young quarterback playing out of his mind right now in Brock Purdy. And they're about to face a test this coming week. I don't remember exactly who they ended up drawing in the divisional round. Um, looks like they're still to be determined. It's going to be either Dallas or or the uh, or the Bucks. Either way, I think that's that both defenses that you can exploit if you're Brock Purdy. I think the 49ers get to the NFC Championship. I think they face the Eagles, and I think they beat the Eagles when they get there to get to the Super Bowl. This team is loaded from top to bottom. The defense is the best in the league. The offense has the most versatile set of weapons in the entire league. I mean, not just, I mean, you could say the fastest duo of wide receivers in the NFL with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, all that stuff. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Hell, even Elijah Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Juszczyk, for God's sake, every single person in that offense can beat you in such a multitude of ways. It is impossible to defend if if everyone is, is at full speed. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. And Brock Purdy, I've said it before, I'll say it again, four touchdowns in this one, uh, over 11 yards per attempt, 332 yards to the year, went nine of 11 in the second half after that uh, after that almost disastrous first half. Um, No turnovers on the day as well. I've said it before again, and I'll I'll say it again right here. Brock Purdy is the quarterback going forward for the San Francisco 49ers. You're not going to take out Brock Purdy and put in Trey Lance. And I've made this point before. You can have Brock Purdy and have Trey Lance as the backup and still be well within the bottom half of the league in money spent on quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is such a cheap contract. I mean, He's going to be the quarterback. There's no other way to put it. He is going to be the quarterback going forward. Interesting to see how that works out in the locker room and all that stuff going forward, though. Uh, That being said, squeezed about as much juice as we can out of this one. Uh, Let's talk about the biggest choke job of the weekend, shall we? It is the Los Angeles versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I need to see specifically what the score was. Well, it was 
27 to 7 at halftime, 27 nothing late in the second quarter. Um, Evan Ingram caught a pass from Trevor Lawrence with just under 30 seconds remaining in the half to put them on the board. And that kind of is the is the catalyst that lit the fire underneath them to start getting this thing going, right? So come out of the second half. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, abysmal first half. At one point, he was like four for 16 for like 30 yards, less than two yards per attempt, and four four interceptions to boot. I mean, just terrible. Just one of the worst uh, halves you're going to see in a playoff game. He comes out in the second half and is a different player. I mean, no, no two ways about it. Through one touchdown in the first half, through three in the second half, um, and all of a sudden, you go into the fourth quarter, Jacksonville's down 10 points. Um, they come out, get another three and out for Los Angeles Chargers. They score another touchdown to Christian Kirk, another Trevor Lawrence pass. That was the third of the half for him to make it 30-28. to 28. And then all of a sudden, late in the game, Chargers, Charger, they missed a field goal to put them up by, I mean... 13 points as opposed to 20. I mean, it was fourth and three on that too. So big analytics guy decided in that fourth and three situation deep within Jacksonville territory, um, he decided to go and go from up 10 points to up 13. That's, and he didn't even get to 13. Well, actually, no, it wasn't actually, yes, I'm, 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 I'm stupid. Sorry about that. This was Back like midway through the third quarter or fourth quarter, rather, uh, Cameron Dicker lining up to kick fourth and three, Probably should have gone for it on that one. If you get a touchdown there, game is damn near over, and you run off several minutes after that too. If I would, I would imagine at least two or three minutes, I would imagine being down there in the red zone with a full full slate of downs. As it was, they missed the field goal, still thirty to twenty. Jags go down right down the field on the, on the ensuing possession, score a touchdown with a two point conversion to make it thirty to twenty eight. Two point game and a field goal wins this thing for the. Jags. 525 remaining, and you think right then, that's the time where Justin Herbert's going to come out, he's going to put this game away, maybe, and that's just not what we got. Three and out, again, that's like the outside of the previous drive where they got some stuff going, I mean, they could not get anything going. It, was, it wasn't it was all three and outs, but it was seven plays punt, seven play field goal, I mean, 14 plays missed field goal, um, and then Jacksonville on the other side was just dominating the clock and doing anything they wanted on the other side of the ball. They, the Chargers were terrible in the second half. Now 30 to 28. After that punt, about 320 remaining. You knew this was just entirely too much time. Oh, excuse me, for the Jaguars. They drove all the way. To, oh my goodness, I got hiccups like a motherfucker right now. Whew, excuse me. But they drove all the way down the field. 309 remaining on the clock whenever they got the ball. All the way down the field, 10 plays, 61 yards, got them into position. Um, Travis Etienne was the guy that really set them up for him. They were in Chargers territory without a minute 27 left. Etienne off the right end goes for 25 yards, puts him right in the middle of field goal range. Easy, easy chip shot for Riley Patterson. Basically, they just get the rest of the timeouts out. One last timeout that uh, the Chargers had. Run that thing all the way down to three seconds. And you know what? Let this thing go. Kick it. Uh, 36-yard field goal. It is good. Zeros on the clock. And just like that, Chargers go from up 27-0 in the second to losing 31-30. Final score. And you know what? 
uh, start we have in the last couple. You know what? I'm just going to put this about as simply as I can. Would have been nice to have Mike Williams there in the second half when he needed a tough completion. That's that's the bottom line here. And um, we all know if we've been paying attention over the last couple weeks why Mike Williams wasn't playing. It's because he played last week in a meaningless game at the end of the regular season to quote-unquote keep the momentum going, which seemed to work out very well in this game. Uh, had a lot of momentum in the first half, I guess, Maybe if you'd rested your starters in the uh, in the in the last game regular season, maybe they'd have had momentum through that second half too. That's that's a dumb take, but here we are making it anyways. Um, even with that, though, I mean they had opportunities. If they had Mike Williams in there, obviously Mike Williams going down in the final week of the regular season with that back injury really wasn't going to be available for probably the entire playoffs unless they got to the uh, unless they got to the championship game or Super Bowl, whatever it is, um, probably wouldn't have had him all throughout that time. But that's that's squarely at the feet of, of Brandon Staley right now. That's, that is all him as to why Mike Williams was not out there. And you know what? If, if I were the Chargers, I see how Brandon Staley has built relationships with his team. I see how much the team loves him. I see that this team went... 10 and 7 this year probably could have gone 11 and 6 if they really wanted to in that final game. Well, that being said, they proved that they wanted to and they still lost that final game, so who's to even say? Made the playoffs though. Uh, I would keep him. I would I would keep him there just because obviously the team loves him. That's the that's the main thing with a with a head coach. Does the team love you? And then after that, can you build a good game plan? I think defensively he can, he can build a good game plan. Didn't quite work out in this one. I mean, it worked out for a half in this one, but um, second half happened. Joey Boza just decided to, to stop playing with any discipline whatsoever. Got a personal foul on the way out of the field. Uh, got a personal foul after slamming his helmet on the field. I mean, the guy was just absolutely unhinged all game in this one. And he's the best player on that entire defense. No two ways about it. You can't have your best player acting like a goddamn child down the stretch. I mean, that's that's poor leadership, and you get what you get when you have poor leadership on the team. Um, I mean, it, it is what it is. I've said it, again, probably a million and one times at this point in this episode, but chargers will charger, and when you don't have a guy that can get you a tough completion like Mike Williams in the biggest moments of the game, like Mike Williams... Mike Williams only makes contested catches. That is the bottom. He only makes contested catches all the damn time. And without having that in there, you saw it in the second half. The the Jaguars came out on fire on defense in the second half, absolutely threw the clamps on the Chargers when they needed to. And when the Chargers needed a a hard completion, um, obviously DeAndre Carter even got hurt in this game, so they didn't have him out there. It was basically Josh Palmer or Keenan Allen, which... That is not Keenan Allen's game. Keenan Allen is, like I've said before, an all-around receiver, a technician type of guy. Exploit the exploit the open spots in his zone. Can beat a guy in man coverage by just juking him out of his shoes on a route, pretty much. That's that's what you get from Keenan Allen. You don't get the no separation. We're going to throw it up to him anyways because he's an absolute physical freak monster that can jump higher than everyone and has better hands than everyone, too. That's what you get from Mike Williams that you just don't, you miss it so so much when he's not there because you don't you don't have a dominant tight end in this this offense that can just be a chain mover. You got Gerald Everett and you got Mike Williams. You need a guy like that and not having him in there 
and not having him available, you got to ask the do we see Brandon Staley with this team next season? Because I would not be shocked at all after this collapse if the uh, if the Spanos has just said, you know what, screw this, we're going on to somebody else. Because you know what? There's a guy down in New Orleans that we're going to have to spend a little bit of draft compensation to get. But um, if, I were to, if, if I were to ask you to choose between uh, Sean Payton as your head coach and Brandon Staley... No, no offense to Brandon Staley. I think he's a, a solid. I think he'll probably end up being a solid head coach one day once he figures out how to how to shirk the the weird shit from from what he does on a, on a daily basis. There. Uh, that being said, I'm choosing Sean Payton every time. So things could get very very interesting here. And if things do get very interesting and he does get fired, love to have Brandon Staley on the staff over there with the Vikings. That's He's a damn good defensive coordinator, if nothing else. So I'll him immediately if y'all don't want him. Uh, that being said, with Sean Payton available, this thing, and ha- with Justin Herbert at your quarterback to boot, this thing gets very, very interesting very, very quickly. But I'm not going to spend too, too much time on that because, hell, we are... I mean, got two games left still and an hour into this podcast. I mean, that 40 minutes on the Vikings really took its toll. I'll tell you what. Uh, that being said, for the Jaguars, I mean, good for you. You got, you now have the privilege of traveling to Kansas City to uh, just, I mean, probably get run out of the building by the Chiefs, if I had to guess. That being said, I mean, they, they've been resilient all year. Maybe they go in there and uh, have a good game versus the Chiefs. Um I'm not necessarily holding that one. I think it's going to be a long day, and um, you're not going to get the let up from the Chiefs that you got from the Chargers in this one. I will tell you that much. This is a damn good program building win for the for the Jacksonville Jaguars, though. I do have to say, um, even if you get house in the next round, having this playoff atmosphere after having a pseudo playoff atmosphere in the final week of the regular season, winning both of those games. It can't be understated just how valuable that is for the development of the entire team, but most importantly, uh, maybe the greatest quarterback uh, prospect of the last 20 years or so, uh, Trevor Lawrence, big time for him in this game. And you know what? Next year, I mean, the ceiling is the roof for this team. All they really have to do is garner a little bit more consistency in the defensive side of the ball. I mean, obviously, very opportunistic on the defensive side of the ball. Got some very uh, good individual players over there, but need to build secondary depth. Uh, that front seven is disgusting. I mean, it is it is, it is is a crime against humanity to have that sort of collection of talent on the, on the defensive line. I mean, Josh Allen and Trevon Walker alone are just insane. They got first-round talent all, all, all through the front seven outside of those two guys. So, I'm not worried at all about the front seven, though. If the Jaguars, if Jaguar patterns hold, they're just going to draft another guy anywhere. Because why not? Why not add another pass rusher uh, or run stopper or just freak on the inside uh, while you're in the area? That being said, it's secondary, secondary, secondary. They need to work on secondary and uh, probably linebacker play to a certain extent. I mean, obviously you have Josh Allen back there, but I don't, I don't, I also Foisato Ulukun, I take that back. Foye, Foye, Foisada, Foisada, that, that's the name. Foisada Luokun is, I mean, led the league in tackles last year with, with 182, or this past season with 182. Um, you get a guy to pair opposite of him, though, you are off to the races, and you get some secondary help uh, in addition to what this offense has done this year. 
I think the I think the offensive weapons that they have get a bad rap. I think Kirk, Christian Kirk can get separation. I think Zay, Zay Jones has shown he can get separation. And Evan Ingram is a matchup problem all damn day there. So, I mean, I think they have a solid receiving core. Maybe you pick up another guy because could never hurt to have another guy in there, especially when you got a developing quarterback. But this team is really not far off from winning the NFC, the AFC South again. And we get very emphatically, um, that being said, the Jaguars are the Jaguars. So I can't just assume that that's going to be the case. Uh, shout out to Foisata Oluwokun, though. I mean, another fantastic day. I mean, 13 tackles in this one. Um, five more than anyone else on the team. Four more than any other player in this game. I mean, absolute mind. Plays with his hair on fire. Out of his mind the entire game. Also... Josh Allen with four quarterback hits, a sack to boot as well. Roy Robertson-Harris with four tackles for loss in this one. I mean, there are, there are guys up and down that, that front seven that are just silly, just silly sorts of talents out there. So I am, I'm very, very interested to see what this Jacksonville team turns into. And I'm also very interested to see how they react going into the most hostile of hostile environments in Kansas City, playing against the best quarter, probably of all time when it's said and done. I'm, I mean, I'm going to start saying that now so people get used to it because he's going to shatter every record that Brady has, quite frankly, but I'll leave that there for now. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this Jacksonville team, how these Jaguars uh, react to that sort of environment. It I don't think they're going to get blown out. And if they don't get blown out, this is very, very valuable experience. Either way, it's valuable experience. But if you're in a close game with the Seahawks, not the, the Seahawks, the, the Chiefs uh, next week, again, hard to understate. As, as great as the win was for the other uh, one, uh, a win or keeping it close versus the Chiefs next week would be, I mean, just as much, if not even more valuable for this team going forward. I mean, they got a, a legitimate NFL coach there now. They're, they got no shot of uh, having the offensive scheme change because the head coach is the play caller over there and draws up the scheme. Um, really just dial things in defensively, get a little bit more depth in the secondary, and this is not that far off from being an 11-12 win team like right now. Um, big time offseason for them. A lot like the Vikings here. Uh, got some obvious holes. They are going to be in business going forward and uh, I'll leave it at that because we just hit over the hour mark but let's move on from there and we're gonna we're gonna hit this one fairly quickly Miami Dolphins versus Buffalo Bills here and I'll tell you what man I I feel terrible <laughs> I I feel terrible I felt like a genius going at minus nine I thought they were gonna absolutely blow the Dolphins out of the water with Skylar Thompson at, at quarterback and it looked like that for first quarter and change it was 17 nothing at one point then all of a sudden the second quarter just turned man I mean the offense just simply came alive for the uh for the Dolphins in this one hit like three straight um field goals in this game and gave the you look at the, the turnover battle in this one um Buffalo had three turnovers Miami had two and those those two turnovers really basically came in the second half um for the for the Dolphins and I mean really it came down to the Bills were clearly a superior team in this one but Mike McDaniels was just calling his ass off when it came to to drawing up plays for uh for Skylar Thompson that offense and the Buffalo Bills Josh Allen was just giving the ball to the other team I mean two interceptions in the first half 
One of them was, I mean, clearly his fault when it was, well, I don't know about clearly his fault. Neither of them were technically speaking his fault. Um, One bounced off the chest of Cole Beasley straight into the arms of a defender. Got to catch that when it's all said and done. Also, the first pass to, to John Brown, John Brown just ran the wrong route, stopped running after a certain time, so really put him in the wrong position. Uh, Josh Allen ended up throwing a quote-unquote bad throw, but really just kind of um, throwing where John Brown probably should have been when it was all said and done, and ended up getting picked off by, I believe it was Xavier Howard that ended up getting that one. Um, And then after that, it was... Zach Sealer, five-yard fumble return to start the second half. Give Miami the lead for the first time in this game. I mean, what the hell has happened? That's what everyone's asking at this point. The Bills would get a little bit of cushion going. They got a touchdown from Cole Beasley, which, I mean, hey, shout out. Practice squad to touchdown. How about that? Uh, Another touchdown late in the third quarter as well with Gabe Davis hitting a a 23-yard pass from Josh Allen for what I believe was his... um, Nope, that was his first touchdown of the day. I bumped that out of my mind, but uh, solid day for Gabe Davis in this one. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second. And then, I mean, really the whole fourth quarter was something to watch. I mean, Jeff Wilson brought it to one of three within early in the fourth quarter. And then really, I mean, he got an, an interception right before that from Josh Allen, his third of the day. That was the one intercepted by Cole Beasley, setting up the touchdown. Uh, Actually, no, that was... Cole Beasley was the end of the first half. Um, I'm looking at the wrong part of the game. How about that? Let's us move down the list here. And yes, there it is. Um, right at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter. Actually, yes, beginning of the fourth quarter because the, the drive took so long. Six drive, 75 yards capped off by Jeff Wilson. Made it 31-34. Miami still down three. Uh, Mike McDaniel hitting the pen, getting cross Fados, Barbados. I mean, being Benjamin Franklin, drawing up. I mean, just dicing up this Bills defense in spite of being high as a motherfucker the whole time um, down the field. That being said, just stalled. Stalled from there. It was a three-point game. Uh, Teams traded three and outs, then just kind of petered off down the stretch. Bills ran off some time. Uh, with a six-play drive that brought it down to like 4.24, ran about four uh, minutes off the clock. Then, basically, what amounted to the last attempt for, well, not not amounted to, was the last attempt for the uh, for the, the Miami Dolphins. 4-5, uh, Miami 30-44, uh, Thompson throws an incompletion, and that's pretty much it. And then Bill's got to get a first down. They do it on the very next possession. This game is over. A thing that it probably should have been, but it was the result we all expected. Bills end up winning 34 to 31. Um, that being said, though, if they if they perform like this next week versus again, can't remember for the life of me who they play. Uh, whew, this. Get this, they play, uh, they get the rematch of that Monday night game that we all want to forget, uh, Cincinnati versus Buffalo next week. They do that against the, they do that against the Bengals. This is going to be a long, long day for the Bills and they're going to get upset. I guarantee you if they come out in this game, uh, after that first quarter that looked so, so dominant, they're going to run into some problems. They really flirted with disaster all day in this one. Didn't end up happening because you're playing against Skylar Thompson. This one, even with it being a close game, Never truly felt like the Dolphins were going to win this one. And it probably wouldn't have felt like the Dolphins were going to win until they kicked the game-winning field goal, honestly, just because it was so clear how much better the Buffalo Bills were. They just 
kept making mistakes and shooting themselves in the foot constantly. And on offense, credit where it's due, the Miami defense turned on the pass rush in the second half. They were getting after Josh Allen the entire time throughout that second half, which really gave them a chance to win this thing when it was all said and done. But man, this Buffalo Bills squad, they're a good team, but they've got some holes. The secondary looks a little bit shaky. Tredavious White, maybe not quite the player he was before all the uh, injury issues that he had. That's something that the Bills are going to have to deal with this offseason. That being said, they're still alive. They got the Cincinnati Bengals hosting them in Buffalo next week. That is going to be a banger right there. It's going to be the banger we all wanted to to have uh, two weeks in the past at this point uh, before DeMar Hamlin almost died right before our very eyes. This time, hopefully no one dies. Uh, Hopefully we get DeMar Hamlin on the sideline to watch this one. That would be a cool, cool moment if we got that. Obviously no pressure. I mean, the kid was still on oxygen watching from home. So I don't, again, if he can come, that'd be cool. If he could could come to the game, that would be awesome. Don't want him to push it though. It would be a cool moment, but don't, don't want him to push it at the end of the day. Would be awesome though. So as for the Dolphins themselves, um, looking forward to next season, you're going to have Byron Jones probably come back. But again, a lot like the Tredavious White situation, he's been out for a long, long time. There's no guarantee that he's going to come back and be uh, the same player that he was before. But still, you got Byron Jones, you got Xavier Howard. Um, what you need is to go harder than you've ever gone before on the offensive line because that's the reason they couldn't run the damn ball all season. They couldn't get any push on the offensive line and they didn't get any real yards. So out of it, I don't put it past Mike McDaniels. You just basically abandon the run after a certain point. That's what he's done time and again this season. If you want the run to be a threat, a threat that people have to account for, I think you've got the personnel in there with, with Mostert and Jeff Wilson. What you need is linemen for them to run behind because right now it is Teron Armstead and a bunch of dudes I've never heard of before. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much the gist of what you see when you watch the Dolphins' offensive line play. They need forget about everything else in the offense. You've got the fastest wide receiver duo in NFL history. Uh, you've got a tight end in Mike Gesicki, which is a matchup problem. Still not entirely sure how he fits in the offense, but you've got a backup tight end in. Remember the guys now, Durham Smythe, that's the guy. Uh, he's played a very good blocking tight end role and catches passes when you need him to. You've got the weapons in place. And obviously Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, you got those weapons, build a, build a base for them so they can actually do something with those weapons. That's the main thing going forward. And defensively, I'm not really sure they're that far off. I think they had a lot of attrition this year. I mean, you still got Xavier Howard and Byron Jones on the outside, which Hopefully, Byron Jones comes back healthy. I mean, knock on wood. And then on the back end, I didn't even mention him. You got Javon Holland playing like maybe the best, maybe the best safety in the entire league right now. He is that damn good on the back end. Really, not far off at all, especially with Bradley Chubb uh, coming in, maybe not coming into his own, but coming back healthy next year, rushing opposite of Jalen Phillips, who having a breakout second year. His third year might be monstrous with uh, Bradley Chubb there for an entire season. This defense, not bad. Not bad. Maybe you get a few more linebackers. That's probably the big problem area for the most part there. Um, Outside of that, though, really not that far off. I mean, a lot of these teams, there's a reason they made the playoffs. They're not really that far off. Some of them aren't going to make the playoffs this year. That's just kind of it is. But they've got an opportunity to keep themselves right where they were last year. The big problem for them is going to be 
Got the Patriots, got the Bills, got the Jets in your division, and that is a tough, tough slate to get through, especially if the Patriots are even a little bit better than they were this past season. And you know the Jets can't be that much worse than they were this past season. And with that that defense, it's going to be hard for them to... I, I like this Dolphins team, but they're going to have an uphill battle going forward. They were 9-8 this year. If they want to improve, they got, some, they got the work cut out for them. And I'll just leave it at that. All right, final day or final game rather on the Sunday slate because I, you know, lost my mind for about 35 minutes when it came to the uh, the Vikings game there. So the nightcap of the wild card, well, not the nightcap, you know what I'm saying, nightcap of the wild card Sunday there was a divisional matchup that you knew was going to be close. You just didn't know how or why, but you knew some way John Harbaugh was going to find a way to keep this thing close because he's been preparing for this particular game for the last two, three weeks or so, give or take. And uh, knowing that Tyler Huntley, probably the guy that's going to start, that's why you start um, Anthony... Now, Anthony, Anthony Richardson's the, the, the freak athlete that's coming out in this year's draft. Another guy that, hey, maybe you take a flyer on that guy. But I digress. They knew Tyler Huntley was going to be starting. And really, I mean, as far as the offense is concerned, outside of one giant mistake that we'll get to here in, in just a second, played right with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. That defensive scheme, that defensive strategy that the, uh, the staff drew up there, Baltimore did, Incredible, fantastic, absolutely shut down the Bengals, especially when it came to the, the second half, or really first half in general, held them to just nine points. Uh, obviously, one of that is a missed PAT, but uh, one touchdown, one field goal, had the lead going into halftime at 10-9. This is the game that the Ravens had to play if they wanted to, to end up winning this. You know, this was just close all throughout the game, basically. And I mean... The, Who's to say what would have happened if the, the separating play didn't pop up? But, I mean, time and again, you just saw over and over this Ravens defense, maybe not the best secondary in the world. They have so many guys on the front seven that maybe they aren't the, the biggest names in the world. Maybe they don't individually get to the, pass rush, get to the, the passer uh, as often as you would like them to. Oh, excuse me. Just sipping on coffee out here. All the gas in the world, I, I digress. But just look at what they did. In the first half, uh, forced a fumble from the Bengals. Um, that was after giving up a 10-play touchdown drive. Um, really, they had four possessions in the first half alone. First one, they held into a field goal. Second one, uh, got a touchdown. Third one, fumbled. Uh, fourth one, not even a real possession, was just the end of the half. They had three three offensive possessions in the first half, and that was it. That is that is how dominant at holding the ball and draining clock that the Ravens were in this one. And help, look at the Ravens' drives. I mean, obviously an interception, but that even took off uh, two minutes, 19 seconds. Uh, ended up leading to the touchdown on the ensuing possession for the, for the Bengals. But right after that touchdown drive, Ravens go on a 10-minute, 75-yard touchdown drive, uh, two-and-a-half-minute field goal drive as well. Um, in the first half, I mean, you do the, the quick math. I mean, I'm not going to do it because I really just put myself in the spot there, but the Ravens just blew the Bengals out of the water in possession time in the first half, and it showed on the scoreboard. I mean, it started out 9 nothing. Uh, Ravens come back in the second quarter, take the lead going into halftime, and it looks like they are sitting pretty, but 
Joe Burrow is still Joe Burrow, and he drove him down on the very first possession of the second half for the Bengals after, you know, not a bad first possession for the for the Ravens. Ended up with a punt, but four plays, 21 yards. Next play, after getting pinned, the 83-yard uh Touchdown drive on 12 plates, over seven minutes of clock taken off. Punch it in at the end with, I believe that was Joe Burrow actually did it himself. Don't need any help. Punches it in, gets the two-point conversion to T. Higgins to put them up. Uh, a touchdown, 17-10. to 10. Very next possession. Did not take at all. Demarcus Robinson caught a 41-yard pass down the sideline from Tyler Huntley for a touchdown. And that was after, I mean, chunk plays on this drive. I mean, Tyler Huntley hit a pass to J.K. Dobbins earlier in the drive for 27 yards. Um, outside of that, I mean, it was just, I'll even get, uh, who is it? Gus Edwards, that's the name of the guy. 13 yards uh, off the off the edge from from a uh, pass from Tyler Huntley as well. Just chunk play after chunk play capped off by that Demarcus Robinson crazy, crazy touchdown uh, to tie this game back, back up at 17. Then, yeah, took a little bit of a break on the offensive side of the ball. There were no more offensive touchdowns scored for the rest of the game, but you may, you may be asking yourself, how did the team win? Well, let me tell you. First off, Bengals went three and out after that uh, 41-yard Demarcus Robinson touchdown. Um, punted it back to the to the Ravens, who reeled off a big-time drive, 80 yards all the way down the field, got to the goal line and ran a goal line kind of QB sneak from uh, there's a long one, I think it was, or maybe it was it was the two. No, no, it was it was the one, but it was a long one. Tries to. Tyler Huntley is a QB sneak, obviously, on this play. Down at the goal line, trying to get a, a touchdown was Tyler Huntley. He reaches the ball up, thinking he's closer to the goal line than he actually is. And as he reaches it up, I believe it was Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson made probably the play of the game. The reason that the Bengals won this game. As Tyler Huntley reaches that ball across toward the goal line, Wilson... Sees it, recognizes it, punches it out immediately. Sam Hubbard picks it up, breaks through, gets into open space. Mark Andrews has a, a chance to catch him, but uh, catches a block in the back that just wasn't called uh, when it was all said and done. Hubbard goes 100 yards for a house call. Touchdown, Bengals 24-17, to and that would be the difference in this one just totally shut down in the fourth quarter from there as far as the offenses go as three and out for the Ravens then it was six plays punt for the for the, the Bengals five plays punt for the Ravens three and out again for the Bengals then 10 plays 19 yards on that final final drive of the game could not even remotely get out of uh, out of their own way fourth and 20 basically no shot at all Throws a pass deep left, unlike uh, unlike uh, Kirk Cousins there on the final play. I digress there. No chance whatsoever. Uh, falls harmlessly. Game is over. Zeros on the clock. And the Bengals wasn't pretty, but you know what? The defense stepped up when they needed to. Logan Wilson, for my money, MVP of this game. I don't even know what his other stats were, but he... No, I mean, flat out won this game for the Bengals with that punch out at the goal line. Spectacular, spectacular play. Also, Joe Burrow, you couldn't get 225 yards, man? Couldn't, 
I mean, the Bengals won, so that was that was that was the good part of the the parlay that hit. Um, you you couldn't get 225 passing yards, 225 measly passing yards when the running game goes for 51 on 2.8 yards per carry. I mean, again, credit to the Ravens defense for putting together such a great game plan, but 16 more yards. You couldn't you couldn't do 16 more yards, bud. I mean, I love Joe Burrow more than anything else in the world, but uh, that would hurt. <laughs> that would hurt in a lot of different ways. It was it was just a hurtful weekend overall from Vikings losing to me, just, you know, coming out and losing even more money on bets. What else is new? I guess I can offset that on my tax base at the end of the year. So, I mean, that's, you know, different benefits for different things when it's all said and done. Some people are good at gambling, have to pay taxes at the end of the year. My boy, I get a tax credit because I stink at this shit. So, um, outside of that, though, let's just scroll down and see if we can find... Logan Wilson actually earned player of the game, quite frankly. He led all players with tackles, 10 total tackles, forced the fumble that eventually led to the, the, the game-winning touchdown when it was all said and done. Player of the game, Logan Wilson, by far. I don't even care. Jamar Chase had nine receptions for 84 yards. You know what? Get, got him some points when it was all said and done. Got, got the touchdown, only passing touchdown of the day. That being said, without Logan Wilson's play, who knows what happens there? At the very least, the Ravens get points out of that drive because they got the greatest kicker of all time, even if they do have to kick a field goal. But who, even I mean, with the way that the, the Bengals offense was playing down the stretch there, who even knows if the Bengals win this game, if not for Logan Wilson having the most clutch play of his entire career for my money, unless I'm missing one of the last couple of years of postseason runs. Uh, but that's, that, there you have it right there. That's, Bengals win 24-17. Ravens, I mean, they're the same team every single year, no matter who is there, quite frankly. it's They got zero receivers. Uh, they got a damn good tight end who will probably go to the Hall of Fame one day, and that's been 20 years, 20, 30, really. When, when did the Ravens come into existence? Yeah, it's been since then that they've had a Hall of Fame tight end in there pretty much um, outside of the last couple of years, I think. Um, they got a damn good offensive line. They've got J.K. Dobbins and a bunch of guys running, running. Also, you got Lamar Jackson, which whole saga in and of itself. I mean, the problem is the problem that's been the problem for the past, I don't know, however long the Ravens have been in existence. You, you need receivers. They've never had a good receiving core ever. Even when they won a Super Bowl, I mean, their number one receiver was, I think, Anquan Bolden, which solid number one, but... When you're number two, I forget, Torrey Smith, that, that's the guy. Number two, Torrey Smith. Maybe you got Julius Jones or Jul, Jul, Julian Jones. I don't know, man. It, it's not Julio Jones. I know that much. It's one of those guys that mostly was a returner throughout his career, played with the Texans for a long time, explosive athlete, mostly a kick returner, though. You were asking him to play second receiver reps, though, in that Super Bowl run, even. And that's certainly didn't make a Super Bowl run this year. You were getting... I mean, Demarcus Robinson was your number one wide receiver at the end of the year. I mean, Josh Oliver got good snaps. I mean, hell, Sammy Watkins was the number two wide receiver when it was all said and done. And by the way, Robinson and Watkins, only two wide receivers to get a target, one singular target in this game. Um, the problems are what they are, that you got to get more receivers in there. That being said, I have, I mean, and obviously got Rashad Bateman coming back at some point, but... Who's to say for how long? He seems to be a little bit of an injury-prone little fucker over there. And I say little fucker very affectionately because I don't have nothing against Ravens, man. A lot of, a lot of fond memories going from going to Ravens games as a child in the Baltimore area. So, 
You will never, you will never catch me uh, speaking of the Ravens outside of their fans being a little bit insane from time to time. Um, that being said, they haven't gotten receivers up until this point outside of Rashad Bateman, who can't stay on the field. Why would I expect them to do it uh, going forward? I, I don't. Um, that if, if you want to look at an, an area that I think they'll actually address, secondary, um, it's time to clean house. Uh, you had a, a very good uh, group of names coming in, but the thing about a very good group of names, uh, they earned those names before they got to you, and now that they're there, get a little bit old. A little bit old, a little long a tooth. I think this is probably the last you're, you're going to see of Marcus Peters in a Ravens uniform. Um, Marlon Humphrey has, I mean, flat out not played well over the last couple of years. Uh, interested to see what they do with that. I think if, if, if the Ravens hold true to their patterns of the past, they're going to draft a million defensive backs. One of them is going to turn out like Kyle Hamilton, be an absolute stud out there. Uh, they're going to draft a cornerback that ends up being like a top 10 guy in the league. And they're going to try and draft a receiver or two, but that receiver or two is going to be abjectly terrible in the NFL. That's just that's just the way the Ravens are. I don't know what else to say other than that, because I can guarantee. I mean, I would be almost willing to bet money this Ravens team is going to be almost the exact same composition next year as it was this year, except for maybe they bring in a pass rusher or something, whether that be through free agency or draft or something like that. The biggest tweaks you're still probably going to see are on the defensive side of the ball because I, the Eric DaCosta, um, gosh, who was the guy before him? I mean, Hall of Fame GM over there with the Ravens, um, uh, Hall of Fame tight end too before that. Gosh, I can't remember. I, I can't believe I don't remember his, you know, I got to look this up now. Hold, hold on, hold on. Ravens GM... Ozzie Newsome, that's the guy. Maybe one of the greatest GMs of all time. I just could not remember the dude's name because I am an absolute idiot from time to time. But basically, you go back from DaCosta to Ozzie Newsome, the same problems have been there the whole time. They just cannot evaluate wide receivers for whatever reason. And I don't really expect that to change. So Lamar Jackson coming back would be a big add. I think if they add Lamar Jackson back in here, they're really not that far off from being still... I mean, Steelers are going to be a problem next year, and so are the Bengals, but still one of, if not the best team in the in the AFC North over there. So again, another team where they're not that far off. That being said, hmm, again, tough division. I have zero faith in them whatsoever to pick up a wide receiver uh, in, in addition to what they have. I could still very easily see them going into next season, even with a very good defense, maybe the best defense in the entire division, one of the best in the entire league with Roquan Smith being plugged in there midway through the season. Even with that, the offensive problems and the Cincinnati Bengals being as damn good as they are with the quarterback they have, the the, the Steelers rounding into form. I think they're going to be, the Steelers are going to be a very good team next year with a full year of Kenny Pickett in there. Um, add in some more guys on the offensive side. That that Steelers team, watch out for them. They might not have made the playoffs this year, but they are going to be a problem next year if they can figure out a little bit more on that offensive line. Even even the Browns, like they aren't. The Browns is the Browns. I think they'll still probably end up being last in the division because that's just the lot in life for the Browns. Um, that being said, they do still have Deshaun Watson, who has, I mean, been good in the past. Not with the not with the Brownies, that's for sure. Uh, they've got 
all the weapons you could possibly want there on the, on the outs. Well, not all the weapons. They really, it's Donnie Peeps, Donovan Peoples Jones, and Amari Cooper on the outside with David and Joku uh, spelling as the, the tight end. Maybe you pick up one more wide receiver there uh, to kind of fill out the receiving core. But I mean, you can chunt teams to death. That's the main thing. And you got a, a head coach that just loves to run the damn football. So when you got Kareem Hunt, when you got Nick Chubb, it makes the math a little bit easier on the outside for uh, for receivers. Even the, And they got all those players on the defensive side of the ball, and they needed to get a new defensive coordinator in there. They got, they're going to get a new defensive coordinator in there. Um, even the Browns, not a pushover next season. So no guarantee in my mind that the Ravens end up making the playoffs at all next year. But very easy, easily identifiable issues that they've got. Uh, just a matter of whether they actually address those issues. Again, I have very little faith, especially in the receiver. I mean, everywhere else I could see them improving and doing better. I have, I mean, I have been following the Ravens since I moved to the, the Baltimore area back when I was 11 years old, going on 12. And that was a whole, I don't know, do the quick math there, 15 years ago at this point, close to 16, I think. Um, all of that time, they've never been good at drafting wide receivers. The best wide receiver they've drafted in that time is Torrey Smith, who was a low-end number two at best, number three wide receiver. Um, they're never going... <laughs> I hate to be doom and gloom, but until I'm proven wrong, I just don't think the Ravens are ever going to draft a good wide receiver um, or really pick one up in free agency for that matter. It just doesn't seem to be in their nature. As for the Bengals, just talked about it there uh, in relation to the Bills. They are traveling to Buffalo next week for a monster rematch really the, the first real matchup between these two teams after the uh the first matchup got postponed to the demar hamlin uh crisis whatever you want to call it i mean fiasco just crazy crazy craziness that thankfully bills put on a, a clinic as far as what you need to do when someone goes into cardiac arrest saved a kid's life uh at that um outside of that though hopefully that doesn't happen in this this coming matchup because boy are we in for a treat? The divisional round always seems to be the best round of the playoffs of all. And we have got, I mean, just a, a treasure trove of matchups here. And this seems like a good time to kind of transition into that and talk about what we've got set thus far. But you look, you go right down the line. Jacksonville versus Kansas City. I think the line is going to be big for Kansas City. I think it'll probably be ended up being double digits. That being said, Good chance I take the Jaguars because I just don't think they're going to get blown out of the water. Even if it looks like they might, I just think they're going to find a way to get back into this thing, especially with Kansas City having fucking no one in the secondary. I mean, it's it's, it's paltry what they have there. I mean, get someone outside of Chris Jones and Willie Gay, for God's sakes. I mean, obviously, Nick Bolden, damn good linebacker as well. But for God's sakes, get someone other than a Mississippi State uh, defensive lineman or linebacker to have any sort of impact on the game. That, that's all I ask at this point. Um, ooh, excuse me. Outside of that, though, Giants versus uh, Eagles. That should be a good one, I think. Unless the Eagles just come out um, firing all, on all cylinders. We saw it in the, in the last week of the season. Giants didn't really play their starters. Uh, Eagles had to play their starters. And still, Eagles only won by a touchdown, like six points, basically. Nothing, essentially. And that Giants weren't even playing their starters. I don't think Jalen Hurts is healthy. Um, I think this Giants team is firing on all cylinders at the best possible time. They stumbled a little bit down the stretch, but they've kind of gotten themselves into a groove here recently. I mean, 
Some of that has to do with playing a terrible Viking secondary. Two of the last three, four games, I think they've they've had uh, playing against the Vikings here. That obviously always helps on the offensive side of the ball. But this Eagles team, the big big question mark is how C.J. Gardner Johnson is going to affect things for the Giants in this game. But this, there's been gaps and holes in this Philadelphia secondary all damn year. If they can figure out how to mitigate the pass rush and not let them completely wreck the game for them as they are wont to do. I mean, the Philly pass rush is the best in the league by a mile. They've really, I mean, Brian Dayball, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Wink Martindale coordinating the hell out of that defense. I really should have given him even more credit for the game plan that he put together versus Kirk Cousins uh, this past week. I mean, shout out to that guy. I really, he probably deserves a head coaching job, but I'm not sure he ever wants one. So much to the benefit of everyone who needs a defensive coordinator and a talent deficient uh, team, he is just a mercenary for hire when it comes to making your defense look better than it actually is. He's going to have those boys playing. He's going to put all the pressure in the world on Jalen Hurts, I would imagine. Really test that shoulder injury. See if he can still run, because he certainly wasn't able to run in the final week of the regular season. I think the Giants, I don't know if the Giants end up winning this game, but I think they keep this thing close down to the very, very end. And this is going to be an interesting game. The, the Eagles got to be careful here. They're at home. They're in that hostile environment, maybe the most hostile in the entire league. But if they're not careful, the Giants will come in and take their lunch money. I can guarantee you of that. And um, outside of that, got Cincinnati Buffalo, obviously just talked about that. That should be the banger of the weekend. Can't wait. I am bated breath, edge of my seat, waiting for that Bengals-Bills uh, game. That's going to be a treat. Uh, and... Winner of the Cowboys versus uh, Bucks on Monday night tonight has the privilege of going all the way across four time zones to face the juggernaut of the NFC at this point in the San Francisco 49ers who, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Neither of those defenses matches up particularly well with the San Francisco 49ers. And those offenses are about to be at the mercy of Nick Boza, that front seven uh Everyone on that fucking defense, essentially, like everyone ends up being. Um, and specifically, if that ends up being um, that ends up being the Bucks that pull through, boy, boy, this could be a real, real ugly game um, late on Sunday. Actually, 6.30 on Sunday, so Super Bowl time slot there so we can get to bed at a, at a reasonable time. How about that? Love to see it. Love to see it from the NFL there. But um, you know what? Might end up just going to bed early anyways, because I have a, especially if it's Tom Brady out there, that 49ers pass rush might get five to 10 sacks. That's that not an exaggeration either. If you got Brady back there and I get Ryan Jensen just got activated off the IR, we'll have to see how good he plays in this Monday night game. But boy, if they get through there, oh man, they, they have got their work cut out for them. Vi not, not Vikings, if Cowboys get through, Still got their work cut out for them because their defense has been terrible all through the end of the season. Um, their offense has, I mean, just stopped working, essentially. That's the best way to put it. Uh, whether it's Kellen Moore putting them in bad positions, whether it's Dak Prescott, for God's sake, putting them in bad positions. Not the best uh, season for him as far as turning the ball over. I mean, this team just looks discombobulated. I Like I said in the last episode, I'm inclined to think that they lose uh, in this upcoming game tonight versus the Buccaneers, but... Won't know until we see that. Uh, either way, either the Cowboys or the Bucks got their work cut out for them uh, next Sunday, uh, 6.30 p.m. And there you have it right there, folks. There's your four divisional round matchups. Uh, there is your 
five of the six uh, wild card matchups, and we are just at, you know, just over uh, an hour and a half. So why not bring this thing into the home stretch? Call it good. Oh, also, Mississippi State basketball update, because you know what? Probably going to skip this aspect in the, uh, the Thursday episode. They stink. They're not good. I mean, the, the women's team is okay. Um, apparently, and you know what? This is all news to me. Um, apparently, if you're bad at offense, but you're very, very good at defense, but you're so bad at offense that you simply can't score on anyone, eventually the defense is going to stink too. And that's kind of what we've seen here in SEC play from the uh, from the Mississippi State Bulldogs there. But I'm going to I'm going to digress away from that. Shout out to the women's team. I think they're still like hanging around there, like last four in, flirting with a tournament spot. They're at least doing me proud. The the men's team. Not awesome. <laughs> Not awesome, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, with that said, though, there's your Mississippi State update, a whole one to two minutes, yada, yada, yada. Anyways, let's get, let's get out of here, shall we? That's all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy just a little bit. If you didn't enjoy, take that opinion to the grave and uh, tell people you loved it anyways. And also, if you are a Packers fan or a Bears fan who, uh, you know what, dwelled in and just reveled in the the... The, the plight of the Vikings as a team over this past weekend. One, eyes on your own work. Two, y'all still stink. And anyways, uh, I release episodes two times a week during the football season. NFL on Tuesdays, college football plus Monday night football recap on Thursdays. Any additions or changes, I will let y'all know as they occur. Follow me on all of my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. I know it's, I mean, literally everywhere I go, if I just say Verzak, they're like, how do you spell that? And I'm like, you know what? I understand that. I spell it out for them. Uh, not going to do that here, though. You can go visit the link in the description so you don't got to spell it yourself. If you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com or hell, just shoot me a DM on Twitter. I'm, I'm probably going to be a little bit more uh, responsive if you shoot me a DM. Uh, just put business or show in all caps, start the subject line in the email if that is the, the, the route that you so choose uh, so you can be categorized accordingly. And thank you so much for tuning into Unqualified Analysis. And as always, got no clue what I'm talking about. And uh, one thing I learned this week, and I'm really just bringing this one off the top of my head because once again, I'm looking at last week's outline. I don't actually have one uh, in front of me to read off of here. Fun fact, just learn, just thinking about this the other day, listening to a podcast on the rise of the, the Nazi party in Germany. Apparently, well, actually not apparently, this is kind of a, a, a corroboration of a, of a confluence of sources. That's that's just a collection of words right there. It was a it was a consensus among sources here. When Hitler was serving in the First World War, he was a messenger between, I guess, different um different units, whatnot. He wasn't in the trenches proper, uh, getting the whistle and then going over and getting blasted by machine gun fire like a lot of his uh his cohorts were. But that is not that is besides the point. What <laughs> what I'm here to talk to you about is that when Hitler was in the army and uh talking with his his buddy, well, you say buddies, um, his compadres in the German army, they referred to Hitler lovingly as uh, a Toppenschwein. And I say lovingly very sarcastically because if you know anything about German, a Toppenschwein uh, roughly translates to rear area pig. So you can always know if you ever want to refer to Hitler in a totally disrespectful way, as I do from time to time, just go ahead and say old Etappenschwein when you're referring to him. And then, you know what, most people won't know what you mean, but it's a damn good nickname for a big old piece of shit. So with that, I'll let y'all go. D -d Deuces. See y'all on actually...
probably pretty early on Wednesday. I'll, I'll let you all know uh, when that comes out. Keep your eyes peeled because it is coming earlier this week because I got someone coming to town. Either way, though, appreciate you all listening for as long as you have if you've listened to this point. And yeah, peace.